When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Thursday, July 29, 2021. I'm Ash Bennington, joined today by Real Vision's Jack Farley and our guest, Jared Dillian of the Daily Dirt Nap. Welcome, gentlemen. Stories we're looking at today, Robinhood IPO today priced at 38 bucks a share. Uh, current price looks like 34.60, closed at 34.82, off about 8.37% uh, on the day opening. Uh, continuing to drop, looks like a little bit marginally uh, here in after hours trading after the bell. Talking of Robinhood and meme stocks, 39-year-old billionaire and former chairman of Nikola, Trevor Milton, charged with federal securities and wire fraud today in the Southern District of New York. Milton taken to custody today, pleading not guilty to all charges. Jack, I understand you're looking at econ data. What are you seeing today? Well, first, Ash, I want to say I, wa- I wonder if Trevor Milton is still a billionaire. Let's let's check that out. Um, but yeah, I'm looking at two data data points, Ash, uh, that came out today. One is the uh, second quarter gross domestic domestic product for the United States, which um, at an annualized rate came to 6.5 percent, much below the 8 percent that was the median forecast by economists. So you know, not great news for the economy. Likewise, initial jobless claims uh, came in higher than uh, estimated. The estimate was 380,000. They came in at 400,000. That is for the week. So, two points of news, Ash, that are don't indicate particular, you know, a robust economic recovery. However, on the news, U.S. equities slid higher, um, and really globally, equities had a very good day. Um, nothing, nothing to complain about. And in fact, China. Um, you know, it staunched some of last week's bleeding uh, with the Hang Seng index up 3.3%. However, the Crane Shares KWeb Chinese tech index remains 50% below its highs of February this year. Ash, what else is on your radar? Yeah, maybe the bad news was bad enough to be good news. I don't know. We'll talk about that more uh, later. Also, finally, today, part four of the Real Vision interview, uh, Carol Sokolov talking to Kathy Wood of ARC, available now to Real Vision subscribers. Let's pull in our guest, Jared Dillian. Jared, welcome to the show. Hey, what's up? How are you, man? So, Jared, what are you looking at today? Is this like a good news is bad news, kind of a Goldilocks thing? We're not looking at too much inflation. What do you think about what's happening? Uh, I saw some I saw some crazy stuff on Twitter this morning. Um, you know, GDP missed by a lot, but it's still six and a half percent. You know, I mean, it's still a big number. And I saw a guy say that six and a half percent GDP print meant that we were having stagflation. Okay, and the whole stagflation thing just kills me because you got these guys like I, I think it's like I think they secretly want stagflation because it's the worst possible outcome. So they have like sweaty palms and a woody, just like pretending that we're going to have stagflation. Like if we're printing six and a half GDP, that's not stagflation. I mean, this we're having inflation 
but it's a very different type right. of inflation that we had in the 1970s. So, you know, if, if you're going to be concerned about any of the data today, the claims missed by a little bit. I mean, we really need to be seeing claims around 300 to make any progress in getting the unemployment rate down. So the persistently high claims is not a good sign. Yeah, Jack, jump in. I know you've got some thoughts on this. Sure. Well, I'll briefly explain what I think you mean, Ash, when you say the good news is bad news. Economic data that is great actually forces the Fed's hand to stop intervening, either by tapering its balance sheets or ultimately raising rates. So you want something that's not horrible data, but not great data either. And that's what I think you were um, referring to. I, I, I actually I don't even know anymore, Jack. Like eight point five percent would have been just like rip roaring hot, right? You'd have to think that that would look like inflationary pressure. But to Jared's point, six point five percent still very strong growth, extremely strong growth. Yeah, Ash, I'm going to have to repeat the refrain that it's an expectations game. Uh, let's put a chart up of the actual uh, histogram of. Uh, the economist estimates in the Bloomberg estimates, and they they ranged you know all the way from 5.8 to 11.4 for this quarter over quarter growth. And as you can see, the median estimate was 8.4, uh, 8.5%. So it was much below that at 6.5%. So even though 6.5% is high, uh, it still was much below expectations. Jared, what do you think in terms of this expectations game? How do you rank it? How do you balance it out? Well, I mean. You know, in terms of what you said before about this being sort of a Goldilocks print, I mean, you're actually right. Like, in a lot of cases, it was. Um, you know, because, it, look, like, I don't think this particular GDP number would have really changed any outcome for the Fed as to whether they would get any closer to tapering or not. I don't think this one number really means anything. But sure, like in the minds of investors, if it comes in a little bit soft, and the thinking is is that they won't be in as big of a hurry to taper. So you saw gold up a lot today. Today, gold really broke out. If you look at the chart of gold, just zoom out about a year, and it's a very nice rounded bottom, and it started to head higher. Um, the growth value trade bottomed uh, three or four days ago, and now you're starting to see value act very well. So I think you know we had a period of about uh, a month or two where rates were dropping and we had this deflation trade, but I think it's finally reversed. Yeah, Jack. Uh, yeah, I want to ask Jared, what are your thoughts on real rates? I believe the ten-year tips rate is negative one point one three. So that's what you're getting net of inflation from from the U.S. government. Um, of course, gold is very inversely related to real rates. Do you think that that will prove you know fertile ground for gold to go much much higher? Uh, I mean, I guess. I mean, if you guess, if you look at charts of gold and real rates, it kind of lines up. Um, you know, I, I just look. I'm a trader. I just look at this on a technical basis. Today was a strong, impulsive move in gold, uh, which was kind of a surprise. And I think people are going to follow it higher. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so. Let's talk a little bit, Jared. Uh, I was reading Daily Dirt Nap. You were talking about catching falling knives. Some interesting framework and philosophy here uh, that you were putting forward. How do you think about that in relation to what you're seeing right now in markets? Well, I mean, what everybody's trying to do is pick a bottom in Chinese internet stocks. You know, I actually got an email from a Lehman buddy today, and he said that yesterday he sold puts in KWeb, right? So this is like these are the. By the way, what's KWeb for people who don't know? KWeb is the Chinese internet ETF. Okay, so 
you know, this is the type of stuff I would do in my 20s. I'd be at Lehman Brothers and something would be cratering and I would try to pick a bottom. Okay. And the problem is, is that in the stock market, bottoming isn't a moment, it's a process, right? It's a process. It takes months. So over time, you know, let's say you tried to call the bottom in K-Web, it's going to bounce and you'll feel smug and then it will go back down and it'll retest the lows and it'll make a lower low, then it'll bounce again, then it'll make another low and this is going to continue for months. And it's it's very it's very difficult to try to pick a bottom. So as I've gotten older, what I do is if I see something that's cratering and I'm interested in it, I wait for that bottoming process to happen and I wait for it to form a very long base, and then I wait for it to turn higher. So it takes a great deal of patience, and the problem is that nobody has any patience. You know, Nobody has any patience with this stuff. By the way, I have to quote Jared Dillon, if you didn't read today's Daily Dirt Nap. Uh, the title of the piece is, There Are No Old Bold Traders. And the quote is, remember, trading is 90% waiting, 9% research, and 1% putting on the trade. Yeah, and it, by the way, the old ball trader saying this is the full quote. I couldn't fit it in the title, but the the full quote is: "There are old traders and there are bold traders, but there are no old bold traders." Yeah, Jack, jump in. Um, I've just got a. I love the phrase "to catch a falling knife," referring to something that is assets that's falling, you know, very rapidly, and you 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 buck the trend by buying it. Uh, Jared, you write, however, that you are. There's no knife catching in K-Web over here. Uh, that's a rookie mistake. Um, just, just walk us through. So you're, are you against knife catching in general, or is it something particularly in, in K-Web? Both. In China? Both, actually. Um, uh, but not, it's, it's really more the former. I'm against knife catching in general. You know, I actually used to be pretty good at it, but I had a couple of times where I wasn't. Um, you know, for, for, for China in particular, you know, I, I think it was a couple of days ago, I wrote the issue where I talked about the fact that we avoided Chinese internet stocks in the newsletter for the exact reason that they're crashing because private property rights do not exist in China. And there was the potential for government interference. So I said, this stuff is uninvestable and we never bought any of it. Yeah. I think there's the issue. Sorry, Ash, there's the issue of if you're, are a Chinese national and you live in China, they may have their own questions about what do they own. But then if you're a foreign investor in China, you have to buy it via an American depository receipt that's in the Cayman Islands through something called a VIE or a variable interest entity. So it's very unclear what you actually own and what you actually don't own. Um, Jared, so reading from yesterday's Daily Dirt, you wrote that uh, that Kathy Wood is pulling the ripcord on everything related to China. And you're absolutely right. If you go through you know, Kathy Wood's ARK ETF, um, that ETF publishes its purchases and sales every single day, very transparent. And uh, Kathy Wood is doing exactly that. Um, Ash, as I'm sure you know, you can tell us about, Kathy is, did an interview with Kirill Sokoloff on Real Vision that uh, spans the entire week. Today, part four came out, and she actually uh, talked to us about um, that. Ash, you want to set that up? Yeah, let's just jump in and take a look at the clip. In fact, very apposite here about China. All I know is the way China's behaving very defensively is anathema to the rest of the world and probably not 
not to the pleasing of its own population. You know, there's a bit of a stifling going on here. And certainly anyone with dreams of becoming a unicorn uh, with more than a million users uh, is going to have second thoughts because the government is basically uh, putting them on um, on watch. (laughs) You know, I don't know. I, I don't think you encourage entrepreneurship that way. I mean, kind of ominous there, Jack. What are your thoughts? Uh, definitely ominous. Kathy is pulling out. Uh, Jared has never invested in China. Jared, I wonder, what did you say to your buddy at Lehman Brothers when he told you that he was selling puts against KWeb, against these Chinese tech stocks, and in essence, selling insurance, betting that it wouldn't further crash? His timing has been good since he did it, what, two days ago? And we've had a little bit of a bounce back. Um, if you were in this person's shoes, would you unwind that position? Yeah, I mean, that's that's essentially, that's a swing trade. That's a short-term trade. I would take that off immediately. Uh, let me put it this way. I don't think Kathy Wood sold the lows, okay? Uh, I think she was smart to get out of China. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I was watching uh, Bloomberg before we went on the air today, and there was an analyst on, uh, and I, he was talking about something related to tech stocks, and he said, uh, I hear Kathy is buying. So Kathy Wood is now like Cher or Sting or Madonna. She's mononymous. She's just one word. She's just. <laughs> uh, and for those Real Vision subscribers, of course, you can check out uh, all of these parts as we release them. And on Friday, I believe it's like two and a half hours long, the full interview with Carol. Is that right, Jack? Uh, I think so. We've released them in pieces, but the, the full, the, the whole enchilada is, is airing tomorrow. The whole enchilada out tomorrow. Um, Jared, let's talk a little bit more about what's on your radar. What else are you looking at that we haven't covered? Uh, gosh, you know, I'm just the pro- here's the problem. Okay, I'm usually very good at building a portfolio. Uh, it's something I take pride in, and I build a portfolio with a lot of different uncorrelated assets, offsetting pieces, and that's really the way to generate alpha over time. But the problem is, is that now. I've constructed this portfolio that is basically one factor. It's the inflation factor. And so if bonds go up, the portfolio goes down. If bonds go down, the portfolio goes up. So I essentially, I have a short bond portfolio. I might as well just be short bonds. I might as well just sell everything and like sell 10-year note futures. Um, so I'm just getting... So, so I mean, I, ultimately, there's two sides to this trade. And I think I'm on the right side. But I don't, I don't like being whipsawed by this price action. Can, Jared, can you talk a little bit about that construction? What is it effectively like? Uh, short bond proxies in the equity market. What's the structure look like of of my of my portfolio? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, basically, um, I have uh, land REITs. I have insurance companies. I have. Um, uh, office REITs, I have uh, basic materials, energy. Um, I mean, it's all it's all inflation related stuff, and that worked. That worked for a long time, you know. Uh, but I, I, I can tell you, I actually looked at my numbers today, and over the past two months, I took a six percent drawdown hmm. from top to bottom. I took a six percent drawdown, which is not really pleasant. Yeah, but uh, Jared, that's not that bad. You know, I think of you as someone who's very bullish on energy, and I know XLE or ExxonMobil or whatever has had way bigger drawdowns than that. So I guess your diversification within the inflation trade has 
protected you from some of those more severe losses. And of yeah. course, the inflation trade was just up such an absurd amount earlier this year that you know anytime you you go up, you're kind of borrowing returns from the future. So you expect these things. But um, Jack, you sound like a mean reversionist. <laughs> maybe I am a little bit. You know, uh, Jared's a value guy, so I think that's inherent, right, to the value trade is is mean reversion. Yeah. So, Jack, what do you think? Should we jump into questions here? Uh, yeah, let's take one. I mean, there are a lot of topics that we could throw at Jared, but yeah, let's take a question. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Here's a quick one to hit uh, from Christopher Yip from the exchange here at Real Vision. Uh, question for Jared. You recently tweeted, quote, I was wrong about Bitcoin, at least on a short-term basis. Uh, is this basis uh, uh, based on price action in your view, or are you seeing changes in sentiment? Uh, it's really based on technicals. You know, we had this magnificent head and shoulders top that looked perfectly symmetrical. And we were consolidating around $30,000, and I thought we were going to head lower to $10,000. And simply what happened is, because of the Amazon news, Bitcoin broke trend, right? And, I'm, and trust me, I'm, I wasn't short. I, the, the only exposure I had was micro-strategy puts, okay? Um, but, yeah, it's broke trend. So now uh, my opinion has changed, and I'm kind of neutral. I don't have to have an opinion all the time, and uh, that's where I am right now. Yeah, so you bought the MicroStrategy puts. Yeah, um, you know, interesting. This is a very contentious question: whether or not the driver was Amazon or some of the things that were happening with Tether on news uh, coming out of Bloomberg that there's an ongoing investigation out of Department of Justice. Interesting angle, uh, and one that obviously you never have full transparency on, even with on-chain data. Well, the one thing I will say, and I follow sentiment very closely, and I should have picked up on this: the chatter on Tether was reaching, it was getting very loud. It was getting very loud. The, the bears on Tether, how it was going to break the peg. I mean, I was constantly seeing that in my Twitter feed. And what I should have done was I should have perked up and said, you know, actually, I think this is, you know, it kind of reminded me of Tesla Q, you know, back like a year and a half ago when Tesla was trading about 180 and the Tesla Q guys were getting louder and louder. It was the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, the interesting thing is this sort of almost counterintuitive relationship, at least at the surface level, uh, between the price of Bitcoin and negative rumor or negative speculation on Tether. People offshore who don't have access to U.S. dollar-denominated banking, who own Tether, in theory, so the thesis goes, uh, have no choice but to move out of it if they feel that they're bearish on it, if they fear there's a risk of breaking the peg, so they move into Bitcoin. Kind of a paradoxical relationship there, particularly for people who are new to the space. Yeah, I, well, I mean, as a U.S. investor, I don't really have any experience with it. I only know what I read. So, yeah, Jared, I've got a question. How ha we've had a week of remarkable earnings from Apple, Facebook, Microsoft, Google, Tesla, and and all the other, uh, you know, McDonald's, Starbucks. Have any of them stood out to you? And do you have any thoughts on them? Um, no, I mean, you know, the general takeaway is that they've all been good. Um, you know, I'm hoping that that trend continues. I mean, this is, you know, this is kind of a rare time when I actually have a directional bias in the market. Um, I don't really have much in the way of shorts. So for the first, really for the first time in a very long time, I find myself rooting for stocks. 
which is unusual for me, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I think one thing I noticed was that it's not about, you know, it was still possible to beat uh, the earnings number and beat really the whisper number too, and still have, you know, not excellent performance. I think uh, Facebook recorded something like $81 billion in quarterly revenue and it went down on that news. It really only was Google that you know was able to surge um, something like three or four percent on its absolutely stunning earnings per share. By the way, talking about stunning, I'm looking here crossing the wire right now. Pinterest is getting smacked. Apparently, they were down six uh, percent on the day, off another fourteen percent after hours. That's just in the last nineteen minutes. Uh, missed. Uh, kind of on a, on a wide variety of metrics, and apparently they are declining to provide 3Q MAUs. Uh, these are monthly active users uh, guidance due to quote unknown impact on COVID nineteen variants. This coming out of CNBC. Yeah, interesting that a tech company that's you know there's there has real no real exposure to the real world. Like you think if people are locked at home, that would be good for the stock. Yeah. Um, yeah, what are you doing? But but I mean, maybe. it's it's more than double dash over the past year, so it's you know. Yeah, yeah, and I suspect it's probably it's probably advertiser dollars and 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 relationships. But we'd have to we'd have to dig in it to uh, to find out. Right, or just interesting. Want to talk about Robinhood? Yeah, let's talk about Robinhood. Let's do it. Jack, kick it off. What are your thoughts? Uh, well, you do you want to set me and Jared up? I feel like you you were the one who introed it. Well, yeah. So Robinhood uh, is basically stabilized in after-hours trading. Obviously, listed today, uh, thirty-eight bucks a share. Now trading at thirty-four seventy-one. Off, aggregate that after-hours and and uh, day trading today looks like around uh, almost nine percent. Um, not exactly what you want to see when you are an early investor in an IPO. What are your thoughts on it, Jared? Well, you know, I'm not sure I'd want to buy. Uh, stock in an IPO of a company whose entire business model might disappear in a couple of months. I mean, the whole payment for order flow model, I mean, Gensler's looking at it. Um, it you know, things might radically change for payment for order flow, and that's where they get a decent chunk of their revenues. You know, but I, when I look at Robinhood, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a ridiculous company, you know, but aside from that, they, um, it's, they incinerate cash. And uh, you know, if you if you look at the business, you know where they get their sources of legend, uh, excuse me, revenue from uh, margin lending to securities lending to payment for order flow. They don't get commissions. Like I really, I don't see how they can really ever be profitable. There, I saw some comment fly by today about how they were going to use the app for some other purpose. I don't know what that means, but none of this really sounds good to me. Yeah, Jack, what are your thoughts? Uh, well, I have to say it's a stark contrast of the, you know, Robinhood pricing at $38 per share, which was the low end. I think the range that the market makers were, were 38 to 43, and then dipping uh, what four bucks since then. That's a stark contrast to a lot of the IPOs that we've been used to, um, such as Coinbase. So I remember, you know, remember that fervor that we had a, a few months ago. Um, I would say that the multiples, uh, you know, price to sales multiple on Robinhood are. Uh, richly priced, and it's richly priced compared to where it was even trading four months ago in private markets. I uh, would say, Jared, I do think that the business of having people having um, you know first-time users buy options on Robinhood and essentially have the person who's on the other side of the trade be Citadel. You know, I think that's extremely profitable for Citadel, and I think that Robin they you know they they pay Robinhood a, a pretty penny. So I think you know. They get seventy percent of their uh, money from payment for order flow, and that may be uh, wrong 
and it may be outmoded within a few months, but I think it inherently could be a somewhat profitable business. Robin, yeah, Robin, let me jump in here. Robinhood, the average account balance, I think the median account balance is $250. So if you if this was like 1996 and you were looking at brokerage stocks, if you were looking like at Schwab and Ameritrade and stuff like that, like these these are unprofitable accounts. Like they wouldn't want those accounts. But these, you know, these $250 accounts are the basis for all of Robinhood's business. Hmm. Yeah, it's it seems like it's it seems like thin margins, low like like low low average ticket prices on this that, that they're that they're writing. And and also you have to ask yourself, like if if those numbers are right and your model is basically uh, retail investors. You know, with two hundred and fifty dollars in their account trading against Citadel on derivatives contracts, like they're going to get slammed. Who who wants to do that? Like it's like walking into a casino that you never win at. Like why would you keep playing that game? They they can win sometimes, and I don't know. Casinos have historically been a pretty profitable business, right? Not for the gamblers, Jack. For the house. <laughs> yeah, but in 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 the the house is uh, Citadel, I guess in this case, and they. Pay the finder's fee to like you know bring whales into uh, into into their markets, and I think that you know the stock market does go up generally. So uh, they well, they don't bring in whales; they bring in paramecium's. <laughs> what is that? I've never heard of that word. It's like a, oh, it's like, like a little like a little. Yeah. Yeah. It's like yeah. a single-celled organism. <laughs> yeah, and it, it's also there was also I think it was Charlie Gasparino, my old friend at uh, Fox Business, who broke a story last night about the fact that Robinhood. Uh, may be planning to go into the order matching business. I, it's just there's just a lot of uncertainty around this. A lot of uncertainty, but uh, there are you can certainly find worse stocks. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. This is a, this is a candidate for one of the worst. Uh, I think I think Robinhood will be trading in the ten handle in a year. That may be so, but it it may be a buying opportunity at ten dollars. Yeah, interesting. Uh, let's move on to the. Uh, next story, which is that uh, the founder and former CEO of Nikola Corp, the electric Trump truck company that went public last year in a SPAC, um, is now in, in jail. Ash, tell us about this. Yeah, he's currently uh, in federal custody. Uh, pleaded not guilty. We should we should point out through his attorneys. Uh, but the allegation is that there was a, the quote was that I believe from federal prosecutors. I don't want to get it wrong, but the substance was he lied about something like quote every aspect of his business. Uh, yeah, I got it. This, and I'm I'm sort of paraphrasing from a Matt Levine piece I have in front of me today. But yeah, yeah, he Nikola produced. He lied about Nikola being able to produce a zero emission vehicle. He lied about whether the truck worked. He lied about whether major components of the truck were made in-house. He lied about whether the trucks were actually coming off the assembly line. And he lied about a video where it made it seem like the truck was actually driving when, in fact, the truck was only going because it was rolling down a hill. Yeah, look, we can itemize the list of all the things he lied about, but the but the bottom line is, <laughs> according to the allegations of prosecutors, he basically said, look, we got a working prototype here, right? We have an actual truck that runs, and the reality was, in in prosecutors' uh, you know summation today, that uh, that they don't, they just don't have a working prototype. It's basically, you know, he's selling vaporware, but unlike software, if there's not a physical truck that you can turn on, if you claim you have a prototype, it's false verifiable, right? It's pretty clear what you do and you don't have in the real material world, uh, and it's it's obviously uh, something that is a, a very big story for this stock. 
You ever see the, uh, the, the Broadway musical, the music man? Oh no, I never have <laughs> many years ago. When I was a kid. All right. So basically it's like this small town in Iowa and this con man shows up and uh, he, he's the music man. And he says he can teach all the kids to play instruments using something called the think system, right? You don't, you don't need, you don't need actual uh, music. Like you can just, you can just play. And he like cons the whole town. It's, it's really like, it's the exact same thing. Yeah, we should say uh, Nicholas stock off about uh, 15 uh, and a quarter percent today, down uh, last at close $12.03. I, b- I believe, Ash, it's, it's, it's above its lows that, that it reached, um, I don't know, four months ago. And it's also above the SPAC price before it de-SPAC of $10. So there, hope yeah. springs eternal. Yeah, we should also add that um, that um, that uh, Mr. Milton is no longer with the company and has not been uh, for several months. He resigned as chairman. Let's jump into some more questions uh, here. Uh, here's one from Duck. Any comment on Fangs trading down on earnings surprises uh, just too overbought? I think he's referring to the earnings surprises to the upside uh, and then the fact that they traded down. Jared, that's a good question. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, you know, the, the classic trading example to that is, you know, when something trades down on good earnings, it's usually bearish. You know, if something trades up on bad earnings, it's usually bullish. You know, um, I, you know, on its face, you would have to interpret it as bearish. And it kind of lines up with this reversal we've had in value and growth in the last couple of days. So yeah, it makes sense to me. Yeah. See if we can get in one more question uh, from our, one of our regular viewers, Tom. Tom, this is a question for Jared. This is a really fun big picture question, and I'm really curious to hear your answer here, Jared. Uh, which is, what are the biggest differences between trading in the 2000s, the 2010s, and now, if any? Um, you know, trading. If you go back when we had that speculative frenzy about six months ago, that was very similar to the dot com bubble. And it was funny because uh, I'm friends with Ben Eifert of QVR, and we talk a lot on Twitter, but I've also talked to him in person. And he read my book, All the Evil of This World. And he actually um, took a picture of a paragraph in the book and posted on Twitter talking about how, I mean, this was back in the year 2000. There's a character in the book that was like buying upside calls, spending $5 million in Theta a day, but it didn't matter because the stocks were shooting for their, stri- their strikes. And he's, he's, you know, he's, like, he's basically like degenerate call option buying on shit codes, like has been around for a long time. So like everything goes in cycles. The 2010s uh, were very, very tough. I mean, I can tell you that um, you know, sentiment after the financial crisis was negative and stayed negative all the way up until about 2017, you know? So, uh, you know, I remember most of the chatter that you would see on Twitter and elsewhere was bearish chatter, and the market continued to go higher and higher throughout the entire decade. Yeah. That's interesting. Any thoughts as we wrap, get close to the wrap? Sure. I've heard Ben Eifert on on another podcast say that uh, in the 2000s uh, um, and up until recently, a lot of people a lot of the action was in exotic derivatives, uh, you know, sort of stuff that you really can't trade unless you have an ISCA contract or somehow got got around that loophole. But now, just because the call buying once again is extremely frothy, 
um, and call buy, and you know, so much of, there's so much retail volumes and demand for options that a lot of people like Ben Eifert and pe- professional quantitative options traders have left the exotic business to go into the the just old vanilla business of, yeah. of calls and puts. Just to put that in perspective, you know, when I was on the floor in 1999, the total option volume across all four exchanges was two million contracts a day. And that was calls and puts, two million contracts per day in the whole country. Six months ago, we were trading 30 million call options per day. Wow. Retail. That's crazy. Sorry if I'm, I'm chuckling here. I just saw CG in the uh, Twitter, uh, rather in the uh, YouTube uh, chat. Maybe Uncle Jerome can buy some NKLA bonds. <laughs> uh, Jared, as we get to near the close, any final thoughts? Uh, you know, I'm pr- I'm pretty optimistic. Uh, I think I think uh, things are going to be turning up here in the next couple of weeks. I'm expecting stocks to go higher. I'm expecting yields to go lower. Um, you know, I, the last couple of times, Jared, was, yields to go lower. Yields to go lower. I'm sorry, higher. My yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, the last couple of times I was on, I was talking about how we were in this value correction, and you know, if you waited long enough, it was going to pass. And I said, it's not a bear market; it's a correction, and it's turning out to be a correction. So I'm I'm pretty optimistic going forward. Yeah. Jack, thanks for joining us, Jared. As always, a pleasure to have you on Real Vision. Thank you. Thanks for watching, everybody. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.